0: Live from WLIWFM Studio 51, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news and Long Island's only NPR radio station. A third person, what authorities said was a four-member organized theft ring, pled guilty yesterday to stealing 48 high-end purses from an East Hampton Balenciaga clothing and accessory store. John Asbury reports on Newsday.com that Jamal Johns, Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York. I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Traffic at East Hampton Town Airport was down by a little more than 15% this past summer compared to summer 2021 and by more than 23% from the pre pandemic summer of 2019. Michael Wright reports on 27east.com that according to data compiled by the town, flights at the airport in June. July and August. So excluding the busy Memorial Day and Labor Day holiday weekends were lower than in both 2021 and 2019 across every type of aircraft from helicopters to corporate jets to small private planes flown by amateur pilots. There were 13,838 flights to the airport in Wayne Scott during the three busiest full months of this summer compared to 16,306 in 2021 And 18,030 in 2019. For the entire year to date, through the end of August, traffic at the airport is down more than 23% overall compared to the same time period last year, and the number of helicopter flights is down about 15%. Flights by corporate jets were down considerably during the summer months from 2021, almost 25%, but only 2% lower than in 2019. Helicopter flights were down slightly compared to last year, about 4%, but were nearly 30% lower from the summer before the pandemic, when the total number of helicopter flights had been growing to record numbers each successive summer. It was the first summer that the bulk of helicopter traffic used a southern approach, flying up the southern shore of Long Island over the Atlantic and turning toward the airport only after reaching Wayne Scott, where the waters of Georgia Pond led, uh, led nearly or lead nearly to the airport's boundaries. But while the shift away from the northern routes and the neighborhoods beneath them may have eased the noise there, the southern approach introduced it to a new population in Wainscott. East Hampton Town Supervisor Peter Van VanSkoyek said Wainscott got slammed. Quote, it's interesting to see how people's interests change. Uh, Folks who used to be in favor of modest regulations keep the airport open and reduce the number of helicopters and may have even been very pro-aviation and flew in, now and then are now saying close it down. The message is no matter where you send the traffic, it's going to have the same impact and the same result. Staying in East Hampton, the East Hampton School District will introduce a new bond proposal to replace old debt expiring in the next five years. Desiree Keegan reports on 27east.com that during Tuesday's Board of Education meeting, Superintendent Adam Fine said the district would have public discussions on the concept. He'll be taking the trustees on a tour of the buildings and grounds on October 18 to look at what some future projects funded by that bond proposal might be, but added that the board has directed him to solicit input from community members. Quote We have to look at our buildings or facilities and see what we need to do and what we would like to do, obviously, with the children and their education and extracurricular and co-curricular activities in mind. Find said, it's very important to know that this will be a fully transparent process. So in the most transparent fashion, all of these discussions will occur publicly, end quote. Assistant Superintendent for Business Sam Schneider said replacing the debt is important if the district wants to maintain stability in its levy the amount of money collected from voters the reason the district is having this discussion five years out is because the planning and approval processes take time schneider said that with public debt a first payment is usually made in approximately nine months after borrowing the money it can also take as long as a year to get the necessary permits from the new york state department of education for the projects Looking at the gubernatorial race, Governor Kathy Hochul has named a time and place she is willing to debate Republican challenger Lee Zeldin ahead of their November 8 election. Zach Williams in the New York Post reports that the Hochul campaign said yesterday it is willing to do one debate against the Long Island congressman, assuming he agrees to meet her at Pace University on October 5th, uh, 25th, excuse me, for an hour-long contest hosted by Spectrum News New York One, ahead of the October 29 start of early voting. Quote, Governor Hochul looks forward to highlighting the clear contrast between her strong record of delivering results and Lee Zeldin's extreme agenda. Her campaign spokesperson, Gerald Harvey, said in a press release, in a statement released Wednesday, uh, Congressperson Zeldin responded, this is Absolutely unacceptable just how much contempt Kathy Hochul has toward New Yorkers that she is trying to pathetically get away with just one general election debate over a month after absentee ballots start going out. We should have a live televised debate right now with the first mail ballots scheduled to be sent out September 23rd. Zeldin has already accepted outstanding debate invitations from PIX11 and CBS2, while pushing Hochul to agree to face off for those debate offers, as well as three more potential debates. And finally, Long Islanders will soon face higher borrowing costs for credit cards and auto loans and slightly better savings rates as a result of the Fed raising its benchmark rate by three-quarters of a percentage point on Wednesday. Jonathan Lementia reports on Newsday.com that it was the third straight increase of that size as policymakers seek to quell stubbornly high inflation. The increases make it more expensive for consumers and businesses to borrow money. The Fed rate has a more direct influence on short-term borrowing, such as auto loans and credit card interest rates, than on longer ones, such as mortgages, but factors including inflation And the Fed increases have helped push up mortgage rates, making home buying much more expensive. The average 30-year rate uh, for mortgages for the week ending September 15 was 6.02%, which was more than double the average at this time last year at 2.86%. That spike means a buyer purchasing a home this year with the same size mortgage will pay hundreds more each month toward their mortgage to cover added interest costs. The 30 year mortgage rate more closely tracks the 10 year tr- uh, Treasury yield, which hit its highest level since April 2011 earlier this week, as investors demand higher returns for holding government debt. And even though the Fed's move doesn't directly affect mortgage rates, changing rates for credit cards and auto loans can still influence what a home buyer can afford. That's according to Andrew Russell, founder and owner of. R.C.G. Mortgage, a broker in Hopog, quote, it trickles down into a buyer's qualification, Russell said. But even as higher rates have slowed home sales on Long Island, prices have remained high, with the median sale price in August at $700,000 in Nassau and $565,000 in Suffolk. Reading the weather in Port Jefferson in honor of our first guest this morning, author Ellen Paul joining us to discuss her new book, Must Read Well, ahead of her book signing at 6 p.m. tonight at Dolphin Books, looking like showers and possibly a thunderstorm mainly before 2 p.m. today, then a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2. Temperature rising to near 74 degrees by 11 a.m., then falling to around 65 during the remainder of the day. Remainder, that's a word. Southwest wind. 10 to 14 miles per hour becoming northwest in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 24 miles per hour, so make sure you secure your yard items. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 49 degrees. Wow, that is that is chilly. Northwest wind around 15 miles per hour, gust as high as 25. Right now it's 72 degrees. We do have a, a special guest joining us um, n- at nearly the top of the next Hour after We will speak with um, Judge Deborah Cooperstein and um, substance abuse counselor Micah Hunter at the bottom of the next hour um, ahead of the showing of the crime of the century at Southampton Arts Center. But we did manage to squeeze Will, will Lawrence in there um, at about 1045, uh, 145 if you're listening to the replay. Um, before he opens for the Fleece Brothers, they're coming out to Rockville Center, uh, keeping it local. We are starting with Georgia Feroci, out uh, a listener artist in Connecticut from her 2020 record Moon Signs Must Be Nice. We've got Labisa Free, Roxette, Billie Holiday, and Teddy Wilson in his orchestra before Otis Span. I'm Gianna Volpe, this is Georgia Feroci, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and speaking to folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only NPR radio station. We'll be back.
1: Knowing exactly what you've always wanted It must not be so nice to know that what you want you still don't be
0: a little love note to myself that there's an explicit lyric in that track
2: I never thought I'd miss you half as much as I do and I never thought I'd feel this way, the way I feel about you Can it be that we can say so much without words?
0: We have a nice half-century disparity between the next two tracks on the playlist, but we will be interjecting a brand new one with the same title of the book and actually the same author uh, as our next guest in our next segment, and that's Must Read Well. Uh, Ellen Paul joining us in just a few minutes here after Roxette's very classic single, It must have been love. Hopping back to 87 right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station WLIWFM. Ahead of our thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen on Long Island's only NPR radio station. It must have been Love from 87. We do have Billie Holiday and Teddy Wilson's I Must Have That Man from 37, a nice half-century jump between. Must, of course, uh, is the theme this morning because our first guest this morning, Ellen Paul, her brand-new book, uh, Must Read Well, which also has a, a track that she wrote with Cindy Thrall, which... Uh, I appreciate uh, rhymes. Um, we're going to be playing that at the back half of that. Ellen grew up on Long Island. She's totally living my dream, not only of writing books, I think she's got a dozen under her belt, but also for both the New Yorker and the Gray Lady. Speaking of which, we certainly have a Gray Lady to discuss this morning, one, Anne Tossig Weil from Must We Read Well. Welcome to the Heart, Miss Paul.
3: Thank you. I'm delighted to be
0: here. I am so grateful to you uh, for writing this book. Uh, you know, I read about a book a week for, for the segment, and this is the first one in quite a while that really transported me back to my childhood of, of reading and really uh, being in a space and, and sort of living in a space with the characters. I wanted to start by asking you, uh, you know, the book is about... Um, a Ph.D., you know, a doctorate student who, you know, finds herself in the position of reading for uh, the author whom had rejected her uh, request for interview. So she's sort of uh, in a stalemate. She can't finish her dissertation. And she goes uh, into this situation of reading for this same author under false pretenses and as uh, someone who, you know, has a shelf, a, a large shelf of journals myself, I was terrified uh, by this book a little bit because this is about someone who is uh, reading the personal journals to the person and then stealing them all the while, uh, totally uh, insistent on, on on breaching an NDA cont- uh, contract she had signed in order to finish her d- dissertation Are you a journaler? Uh, Let's talk a bit about where this book came from uh, to begin with.
3: Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say I almost have – well, I do have tears in my eyes when you talked about being transported to that state of being inside a book in childhood because that's my dream to do that with a writer. And I love that myself as a reader. Um, I do keep journals. I have about at least 150 of them. That I've kept since I was in my twenties, and I don't read them very often. And sometimes it's jarring to read them, and sometimes I think, "Wow, that, that was quite good." <laughs> but um, they, I really keep them as a way of. of um, first of all, I have a terrible memory. So same. It's a it's a very good um, aide memoir.
0: And, and that's also, and that's the um, same with with Anne. You know, Anne Anne uh, talks uh-huh. a bit about how, you know, she had kept which I, I, I say the same thing. I call it like a, a defense mechanism against dementia, where in which, you know, you write mm. these things down, uh, so you can sort of catch yourself back up when you completely forget
3: mm-hmm.
0: who you talked to, what mm-hmm. you saw, what you read. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. going. I'm sorry and to step on you.
3: Sometimes i think, wait, who is, who's... <laughs> <laughs> who am I? Even though he's in my journal.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, this is a, a phenomenal uh, read and, uh, and very, it's it's really it's funny because uh, even the, there were there were turns which I expected, and there were certainly ones I did not. Uh, how did this how did this book start for you as far as the writing process is concerned?
3: I am thrilled that you asked that because what it started with was a little note on my bulletin board, which I'm going to go over and look at right now so I get it right, woman writer who can no longer read hires someone to read her own journals to her. And that's an idea that occurred to me out of the blue probably five or six years before I started the book. I just thought it was very poignant to be in a position where you want to revisit a part of your past, you know, learn what it was like as you lived it, but somehow you have to bring someone into that and let them know you were. Mo- I mean, this is a very steamy affair right. <laughs> that we're reading here, the story within the story. And um, I thought, who would you ask? You wouldn't ask a friend. God knows, or certainly not a relative. Uh, probably a stranger, and she ends up. Uh, finding this woman through quite a coincidence, who is already very interested in her, indeed. Although uh, it's not all clear that uh, Anne, as the writer, would know that.
0: There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of deception, uh, all, all, all yeah. over, all over the place, in every uh, corner mm-hmm. of the book. <laughs> but what I thought was interesting, which. Uh, it kind of goes along with the rhyme of of Ellen Paul and Cindy Thrall, which we'll talk about the must-read-well track, was I, I noticed uh, this this balance or or maybe imbalance between silence and violence or, or I guess a better way to put it is like dramatic action or verbiage. You know, there's a lot of, let's say, uh, you know, uh, quiet moments. Let's say uh, uh, the protagonist waking up. In in Anne's house, and and everything is quiet, or or uh, you know, standing in empty hallways, and then there's like the way that you describe certain action. There could there's action that that bursts out of nowhere, and then you can even have a let's say the the VCR spits out the the mm. the tape. There's a lot of uh like edge to actions that happen now and again, and and you know, a lot of balance between quiet moments and then certain memories, you know, even with the protagonist herself, with the way that her parents her parents die, um, there's a lot of drama throughout it. it, mm. it was that part of um, the perspective or, or how you imagine this going down?
3: Well, I think it was a natural outgrowth of this really stealthy game of, I, I never know quite what to call it, it's cat and mouse, there's a spider and a fly and a cat and a mouse, but we're not sure who is who, um, and so there's a lot of keeping your mouth shut. Right. At the same time, there is tremendous need and yearning on both sides to get what each of them needs, so maybe it's an outgrowth of that, those kind of um, sharp alternations between quiet and keeping your own counsel right. and the noise of actual action.
0: Like the inter- there's interdependence, I suppose, and I, I mm-hmm. thought it was interesting because um, it seems very natural for the protagonist to be in this state of, of duplicity because, as she explains, it's something that she had gotten quite used to uh, growing up.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, because she did grow up in a, a with two alcoholic parents, one of whom was physically abusive and scary. And when that happens, a lot of children of adult uh, alcoholics report um, that they learn, to, they have to be deceptive. They have to pretend to feel things they don't feel in order to survive. Right. They can't just say, "I'm angry now," <laughs> because. That could anger this scary person who can do real damage to right. you or or your mom, or I suppose it could be the other way around. Your mom could hurt your dad.
0: And then, you know, obviously that so that, that, does... that bleeds out into um, the real world with the person who is talking with uh, folks that are outside of the situation and trying to protect themselves a bit, uh, maybe not saying exactly how things happened or who uh, who people are or, um, what ha- or what happened afterward. Can you talk a little bit about uh, this idea of addiction and, and uh, your own place in that world? It is National uh, Recovery Month, so I do think it's, it's oh, a really poignant enough. topic uh, for this time uh-huh. of year.
3: Well, I didn't. Thanks for talking about this. I did not grow up with an alcoholic, but I do have an alcoholic in my own family, and um, with my son, he's very open about it, and he's sober a long time now. We talked about it a lot. And he sent me to Al-Anon, which is a, a 12-step outgrowth of AA. Everybody knows about AA. Not that many people know about Al-Anon, and that is a group for recovery for the friends and family of alcoholics or addicts whose lives have been damaged by living with them. And that's where I learned about this problem of not not just deceiving um, your frightening parent who's, you know, drinking or in an altered state, uh, but also not even knowing your own feelings. You don't grow up checking in with yourself. You grow up keeping an eye all the time on the scary parent. Right. And uh, it was my son who sent me to Al-Anon, thank God, and that gave me the recovery to return to writing. This is my first book in a long time. Uh, because I had stopped writing in large part so I could help him. He was very young uh, when this started, and he needed a lot of help. And thank God we've both pulled through.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so happy and and pr- happy for and proud of him uh, for Me his <laughs> his long his long standing sobriety for for also uh, getting you the help that you must not have even known okay. that you really needed. Um, and getting you back into the chair, ultimately.
3: You said it, it was at my second meeting, somebody said that they had, um, they mentioned their recovery and their sense of self-worth and I realized that even though, and thank you for that nice introduction, I had achieved quite a lot professionally. I had given up on myself. I had decided, well, you know, all my ties are over and my impetus is gone, my momentum, and I'm not, I just not ever, ever publish a book again. And Al-Anon gave me all of that back. That is beautiful. I I can't believe I'm here. This is a wonderful moment for me of superb recovery. We don't talk about what we do in Al-Anon, but uh, it's very intimate. We don't talk about our jobs um, or even last names, but we are um, so open with each other. And the the program healed me. I mean, I, I just... I can't say enough about it, and it restored my writing.
0: You know, and I and uh, I can't thank you enough for for your openness. You know, and and I and I hope I didn't out you in any way. I sort of put it in a way where no. you could you could you could choose <laughs> and, your own adventure. Yeah, the one
3: thing they say in and they say we're only as sick as our secrets. Oh. And I really like that. Oh, I, I do, feel do like too. If people would. Just be more open. I, I get that a surgeon can't tell you about his alcoholism, okay, but a writer can. There are a lot of people who can. Your neighbors could be more open about their kids' problems, and you'd feel less lonely. Oh, and it,
0: it would—it so, would solve so many problems because I feel like that is one of the really big uh, parts of of the disease and 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 how it affects particularly families. Is shouldering. Exactly. Shouldering all the pressure and all of the feelings, you know, and and feeling like uh, Mm -hmm. they're not able to, you know, that's why I like to say, uh, you know, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Yes,
3: that's lovely. I like that too. Yes. And I, I, I would live in an elevator building, a big building in New York, and I'd get in the elevator, and my husband and I would make up press releases in advance. If somebody said, you know, how's your son? We'd say, oh, he's great. He's really into X, Y, Z now. <laughs> we would never say, well, he's really struggling, and we don't quite know how to help him. And no one else says that either, but you know. Yes. There are millions of people struggling with this.
0: Yeah. And it's it's really, it's those moments, I think about that, uh, those moments where you uh, are, are, are glo- glossing, like creating a painting, that's not exactly what's going on. Those are the moments where uh, inside you're screaming you want to say how things really are and and then mm-hmm. there's the whole uh, you know the, that's not how small talk is supposed to work. you know and then there's the moments yeah. where when sometimes you do say what's going on and then the the person is taken back and then you feel like, oh I shouldn't have I shouldn't have broken the rules right.
3: of of right. small talk.
0: Right. But it's yes, important. That's hey, so exact. I hope so. I hope I hope all are inspired out there to uh, break the rules of small talk today and, and I tr- love that. trust so. someone. All right. So you've got mm-hmm. your signing tonight at Dolphin Books at 6 p.m. in Port Washington. We are so excited for you. Before I let you go, I'm going to play Must Read Well. Uh, tell me about this track and if it's a companion to the book and how how it happened.
3: It is isn't. it isn't. It started with my publisher, the small publisher, Bancroft Press. The person who started it in 1992 is a very outside-the-box thinker, and he learned that I play guitar and sing just for fun and that long ago I wrote some songs and flirted with the idea of being a songwriter. And he said, write a song called Must Read Well. And he said it just like so that, smart. like an order. Yes. And laughed, but then I did write one, and it was okay, and I asked Cindy Thrall, whom I knew through a Bluegrass Jam, um, if she would sing it for me for use on, like, TikTok, you need audio, and uh, she said yes, but she really liked the song, she really got into it, and she said, you know, I have some ideas about this, and she had some amazing ideas, great ideas, and we sat down together and had just a series of hilarious, wonderful, exhilarating, creative, Sessions during which the song increased in sophistication and became a story instead of just a declaration, and it really is not, it has nothing to do with the story of the book except that you really should read contract well before <laughs> you sign. <laughs> But other than that, it's kind of this, uh, uh, I don't know where it came from. It's like an inner skank I didn't know I had. Nice. Uh, but it's, a, it's a declaration of independence of a woman who doesn't want to be tied down. And uh, with Cindy, and Cindy can belt out a song. She's a great singer. That's why I asked her to sing it. So um, she turned it into a professional track. With nice. all great, really wonderful, some very well-known um instrumentalist and uh, and her own uh, incomparable voice and she got it on Spotify and Apple music and you can hear it if you want to
0: all right so we're gonna play the track Ellen Paul and Cindy thralls must read well before I let you go I will say you mentioned flirting I looked up the Paul corporation which I suppose is your father's company it, and
4: it, it, it is it in, was, the,
0: yeah. in the in a moment of, of uh, I think I do have a A slight uh, case of dyslexia, I immediately read it as a flirtation company, not a filtration company. (laughs) And I was like, flirtation (laughs) company on Long Island? I didn't know. What is that? (laughs) Yes, it's, I love that. It's fine.
3: Tracing yes. filters is what he was. He was an expert in, and uh, he was a brilliant man. And and founding the company was kind of the least of what he did. He invented some life saving things that are still in use many years later. Like what? Um, a, a blood filter that's used in Ooh. pretty much any transfusion around the world. And that was because my mother died of a blood disease, and he oh, spent twenty wow. years trying to figure out how to. Use transfusions without triggering an autoimmune response. You know, so um, or I guess a rejection of the of the um, foreign blood is really what it was.
0: The necessity and, you know, is the very proud of him. Yeah, to be. although necessity is the mother of invention, so is uh, the power of grief. Um, and yeah. you, you you grew up. What what part of Long Island did you grow up in? In Roslyn. Okay. Fort
3: right Washington.
0: Well, yeah. she will be in Port Washington tonight, and any of you out there, if you're trying to start a fine flirtation company, I'm sure you'll have lots of clients. Yeah. It's it's a tough, especially for the, the uh, generations coming up, uh, we all know that everyone needs a little coaching in in-person flirtation. It might be a helpful thing to exist. All right, so uh, like aside that. from seeing Ellen tonight... <laughs> I'm Gianna Volpe. That's Ellen Paul. This is Ellen Paul and Cindy Thrall, Must Read Well. Again, you can see uh, Ellen tonight when you get your book, Must Read Well, signed by her at Dolphin Books in Port Washington. You just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen right here on WLIWFM.
5: Must read well you look a little nervous I'm kind of glad you do it tells me that you're listening to what I'm telling you it's not a classic romance like you see up on the screen read that contract honey it'll spell out what I mean. are leaving we should too but don't
0: Ten minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour. If you want to hear that track again, you can always find today's playlist on the Heart of the East End program page on WLIW.org radio. Billy Holiday and Teddy Wilson. I must have that man. Otis Spann must have been the devil. I think I'm going to you, lead you into the NPR news break with the 1975 and the shirts. This must be my dream and the tiger must jump. And you must be listening to 88.3 WLI. WFM either on the, w- uh, on the 88.3 section of your FM dial 96.9 if you're in Central or Western Suffolk County or you could be streaming us online at WLIW.org slash radio.
6: It won't ever bend I ain't much caring Just where I will end I must have that man I'm like an oven That's crying for heat He treats me awful Each time that we meet It's just unlawful How that boy can cheat But I must have that man. His heart is Hades. A lady's not safe in his arms when she's kissed. But I'm afraid that he's cooled off. And maybe I'm ruled off his list. I'll never be missed that person much worse than just bad. I'm half alive and it's driving me mad. He's only human if he's too be
0: Tucking the 1975 and the shirts in my back pocket for the next hour, leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour with the Grateful Dead. It must have been the Roses. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLI-WFM, the morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, making your donations to WLIWFM.org. With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. The Riverhead Town Board received support from residents Tuesday night on its plan to extend the moratorium on applications for developing new solar energy production facilities for another year. Alec Lewis reports on RiverheadLocal.com that the five residents who spoke reiterated the need for further study of the future of solar projects in the town during the hearing, and some even suggested the town board should consider expanding the moratorium to include other types of development, like warehouses and logistics centers. The board adopted a year-long moratorium on applications last October after residents and board members expressed concerns that solar energy projects were developing too fast in Calverton. The moratorium was criticized before adoption by some residents who said it came too late because hundreds of acres of land located near Elipa substation on Edwards Avenue had already been developed into solar farms. The pause was meant to allow the town of Riverhead to complete a chapter of the comprehensive plan update focused on how much land should be developed into commercial solar facilities and where they should be located over the next few decades. But completing the comprehensive plan update has continually stalled and is now paused Riverhead town officials said they hope the comprehensive plan update will finally be done when the moratorium extension expires. The current year long moratorium expires on October 26th. Here in Southampton, in an attempt to alleviate the traffic congestion that has been a continued source of frustration and ire for Southampton residents, Southampton Village Mayor Jesse Warren announced at a work session Tuesday evening the village would launch a pilot program that he hopes will both improve traffic flow in the village and address the concerns of residents who live on neighborhood roads that have been used as cut-throughs. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that the program, set to begin on October 1st, will prohibit through traffic coming into the village on McGee Street from County Road 39 from 3 to 7 p.m. on weekdays and will add a three-way stop on McGee Street in an effort to prohibit that through traffic. The program will also eliminate left turns onto Hill Street from 3 to 7 p.m. on weekdays from Lee Avenue and Captain's Neck Lane and eliminate right turns on Somerset Avenue during the same time frame. Mayor Warren said he hopes that those changes, along with the continued use of a flashing yellow light on Montauk Highway, will help improve the flow of traffic and keep cars from ducking onto residential side streets in an attempt to shave time off their commutes. Another part of the larger plan to address traffic concerns is a plan for the village to amend its code and increase the speed limit on the western portion of Hill Street to 30 miles per hour, while also reducing the speed limit on several side streets to 25. The village set a public hearing for those proposed changes on October 13 at 6 p.m. It's one of several public hearings that will be on the agenda for that meeting. Warren added, The village has been coordinating with officials in both Suffolk County and Southampton Town to address traffic problems, mainly as it relates to County Road 39. The Southampton Village Mayor pointed out that creating similar changes on Halsey Neck Lane and Bishops could potentially be phase two of the program. And finally, the MTA yesterday approved paying a private firm nearly $58 million to redesign Penn Station, with construction expected to start in 2024. Alfonso A. Castillo reports on NewsA.com that the Metropolitan Transportation Authority Board, at its monthly meeting, awarded the $57.9 million contract to a joint venture led by FX Collaborative Architects, LLP and WSP USA Incorporated. The firm will provide architectural and engineering design services for the reconstruction of the 112-year-old station, which is primarily used by the LIRR. The contract could increase by as much as $152.7 million if the MTA, coordinating with Amtrak and NJ Transit, used the firm to design connections to other transit facilities near Penn, including subway stations at 7th and 8th Avenues and at Herald Square. MTA Construction and Development President Jamie Torres-Springer said the design effort is expected to take a year, allowing for construction on the project to begin in 2024. The entire project is estimated to cost $8 billion and take five years to complete, according to the mayor. Oh, I'm sorry, according to the governor, Kathy Oakle, Reading the weather here in Southampton in honor of the upcoming showing of Crime of the Century, a documentary and panel at the Southampton Arts Center this Saturday at 6 p.m. as retired Judge Deborah Cooperstein and substance abuse counselor Micah Hunter Join us for the Hot Sights and Sounds segment at the bottom of the hour, underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Looking like showers and possibly a thunderstorm today, some of which could produce gusty winds. Temperature falling to around 62 degrees by 5 p.m. Southwest wind 16 to 18 miles per hour, becoming northwest in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 31 miles per hour, so make sure you secure yard objects tonight partly cloudy with a low around 49 very chilly north wind 10 to 17 miles per hour gusts as high as 28 right now it's 74 degrees getting back to the music from all decades and genres hey let's start this with a little melissa etheridge uh classic that i love must be crazy for me from the never enough record um 1975 and the shirts on deck you're listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM.
7: Tell me not to call you up, cause it ties you down Don't tell your friends, you've been hanging around You must be crazy for me You say you'll see me once or twice, every week or two But there's more important things that you've got to do in my own back expect
8: No, you sound great.
0: Alright, the tiger must jump and and we've gotta jump in here um, and cut the shirts short. You can always find that track on the playlist on the W L I W F M website. The reason why I'm 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 cutting in here is because uh, retired Judge Deborah Cooperstein, the one and only, and I have kind of gotten started already here in the studio. I'm feeling horrible because um, I had thought we were all going to be on the phone, and I know Micah Hunter initially asked to come in here, and I was saying, "Well, I think that uh, Judge Cooperstein is going to be on the phone." I was wrong. I did the. I, I it was my mistake. So we're Micah is going to be joining us on the air or on the phone soon, but we've we've kind of gotten started here in the WLWFM studio. We're talking about uh, being empathetic, empathic, however you want to put it, um, and I was saying what a gift um, it has been to have someone like that on the bench and uh, I imagine you are sorely missed. I-, I remember running into you as a cub reporter covering drug court not even knowing that that was a thing um, but but, what a gift to have someone who cares, although uh, as we discussed, being empathetic is a difficult way to be uh, for the person uh, retired your Honor, thank you, wanna, you for being with us. May I say <laughs> Go, this that say in
8: terms of being missed, that I do not know, but my decision to retire, you know, after seven terms, uh, is cl- was clear to me, and so now I'm in a new uh, part of my life. And as I told you earlier, no longer sitting as a justice and no longer constrained, so I can speak my mind. And give my opinions because, as a justice, one tries right. know, uh, to be impartial, impartial always striving right. Right. because we're all subject. We all have certain subjective Absolutely. points of view. But now I'm free to give an interview with you and talk about opioid addiction and experiences, and you that know, must what be I so think. freeing
0: for you. It's good. Uh, it's, it's freeing. It's something that that journalists, journalists, and judges certainly share. Every every human being has bias. Has has uh, feelings and, and opinions, but the work is to uh, consciously separate oneself from it in the work. So uh, having been having been sort of freed in that way during mm-hmm. retirement, thank you first of all for continuing to serve the community in this way by uh, being part of the panel this Saturday at Southampton Arts Center when they show the crime of the century. Of course, uh, Micah Hunt- Hunter will be joining us. Soon, if not in in a minute here, to talk more about the the panel aspect, but let's talk about okay. uh, your decision to get involved.
8: Well, I'm I was asked by Ellen Kronmeyer, who is a board member of SAC, last year, if I'd be interested in being a panelist and to co you know collaborate with the Shinnecock Nation, and I said yes. I didn't know what film would be shown at the time, but I was absolutely on board to do it, and uh, because. Um, despite the fact that I'm retired, I live here. I care about the community and have tried to, to serve it as best I can. And having brought the drug court to the East End, uh, we started in 2004, I have probably interacted with more drug-addicted um, people, their families, and been with them as they try to get clean and stay clean than almost any other justice out here. So, my experience is is deeper, yes, and uh, my feelings about it are strong. And um, there's still so much work to do, Gianna,
0: yeah. so you you saw firsthand uh, the the effects of, you know, big pharma and the prolif- proliferation of of opioids that I mean, I remember in twenty twelve about going to a uh, a press conference. I think it was Bologna's first, and it was mine as a as a journalist, and uh, there were so many opioid deaths out there, and uh, the talk was about making opioids that were were uh, several times stronger than what was already on the market, and it just seemed sort of crazy. Uh, as someone who's seen yeah. it firsthand, how it's affected the community, uh, please, if you don't. Well, mind I would say this, Gianna, report, that
8: having watched the film "Crime of the Century" before it's being shown Saturday. I was surprised at how well the Sackler family covered their tracks and how well Purdue Pharma so this, this covered is what's their it. tracks. I, as a justice, mm. seeing more and more of the participants using the pills and most of the time buying them on the street, was shocked at the proliferation of the pills. I mean, we jumped from heroin to the pills. I had no idea that the marketing of the pills was uh, going on.
0: Let's just make sure. Let's see if Micah is uh, with us. Micah, are you on the line? Yes. Good good morning. morning. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. I just wanted to make sure that you weren't, uh, you know, wondering if you're in the right place. All right, so we're we're talking about uh, the marketing of these opioids. And uh, just for folks who don't know anything about how this stuff works, um, it's a very sad thing because, um, it's something that can happen to anyone. Uh, for, just for argument's sake, this is not exactly how it works, but let's say we all had one opiate receptor and we take a pill. For argument's sake, that becomes two. And, and, and it's not the right numbers, but the way it works is that every time you take one, your resistance becomes stronger. You need to take more. Uh, the the uh, f- it becomes a physical addiction, and it, it, the the key is really not the person trying to get high, but to avoid the sickness that comes with coming down.
8: I think, Gianna, if we could have one takeaway from this interview, is if people understood, that anyone can be addicted. Right. I have preached that for years. Many people don't believe it. But if someone gave you an oxy or someone stuck a needle into your arm, you would be addicted. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a character defect. We're all biological creatures. Right. And when these drugs get into our system, they work in such a way that we crave them. mm mm-hmm. And it takes a couple of minutes to get addicted, and it takes years to get clean.
0: And and with the overprescription, which has been uh, a key part of this problem, the person, does by the time they run out of the initial bottle or whatever it is, they're pretty strongly hooked on this stuff. And eventually where that road leads to is, well, heroin is $5 a pack or whatever it is and is however much— stronger and uh, by then it has gotten really out of hand now micah i know that you are a a substance abuse counselor can you talk a little bit about uh this from from your perspective as a person and as a counselor as well
9: oh was that for me yes oh so i am i'm not a, a counselor um i was um uh, I, I, I I was I abused the uh, uh, opioids and everything you said is right and I did watch the movie, well some of it and the uh, deceit and the lies that the uh, pharmaceutical companies told people regarding not being able to get addicted and all that stuff was it was just like a total lie. Um, but for, first of the all, the, the I want to picture that they painted was like you know. Obviously, they were just trying to make money, and they were just...
0: I wanted to apologize. Yes, you
9: know, you can't get addicted. But like you said, and yeah. Judge Cooper said that it's physical. So anybody that took these drugs for any amount of time, their body would physically become addicted to it.
0: I want to apologize. I, I, I got that from the press release, I believe, as far as your title. I must have misread it. But let's talk That's about...
9: okay. But I'm not a counselor, but I've, I've been through it, and I can... Elaborate my experience, that's what I usually go on, is just the, how it affected me personally.
0: Please do. Please talk about your story, how how it happened to you. You know, it, it can really, I mean, you hear uh, the stories very often with teenage athletes, for example, who have, uh, you know, uh, a break an arm or a leg or something like that, or, or even something as innocuous as wisdom teeth. Uh, these are big yeah. access points that lead people into paths that, completely derail uh, where their life was on its way.
9: Right. Um, In my case, I was never prescribed uh, opioids, but I did find my way. I mean, I I remember one time I was in a car accident and someone had given me, like, oh, just take this it'll help you relieve the pain. Mm. And at first I, I, I was, you know, hesitant. I was like, you know, I'm not doing that. But I did take it. And I think that was that aha moment where I was like, wow. You know, I was, that was great, I guess, I mean, at that time, and for the longest time, for me, I thought that, you know, I would like, Judge Kruperstein mentioned, like people buying them on the streets. That was my avenue to be able to get those things. And it, it just became something I thought that I could balance, and I was still living my life, still going to work and doing all these things. But at a certain point, that tolerance had built up. And. As you know, you need more and more, and it just it kind of spirals out of control.
0: Then then the need to get these things starts to overshadow things like, you know, uh, your principles, you know? Um, it, am I going to take money from, from a parent or, or a family member? Or am I going to, you know...
9: Absolutely. You're living a lie. I mean, for the... And in my case, like, I was... I mean, not the usual suspect as far as, like, okay, he seems like he could be that... Type of person, and I think I use that to actually reinforce my lies because it's like you know not me. I would never do that. But meanwhile, trying to balance being a good person and still being uh, reliant on these drugs, it was it was a it was a tough tough thing to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the takeaway from this really is that the way that the um, the structure, the chemistry of this um, these pills the way that it works on someone, uh, it sort of it leads you there. It's, it, it, it really is separate from who one is as a human being, Your Honor.
8: And you know, Gianna, as Micah was saying, you become a slave to right. the drug. Right. It is the most important thing in your life, getting the drug, getting high, and then right away going back again and getting it again. Right. So the life of someone who's a drug abuser is the most desperate, boring life you can possibly imagine. And most people I've encountered do not like it. They want to get out of it. Right. But they can't help themselves. And one of the problems for me is that once a person is in that predicament, our society is structured because of our insurance, health insurance rules, to give people just the tiniest bit of care. You cannot get clean in a 28 Day program. You cannot get clean going right. to outpatient programs sitting there once a week. It cannot be done. And if we really want to help people, we've got to think about that. And with all this money that has been uh, acquired through the settlement, I certainly hope that Suffolk County is taking a look at how they're going to treat our our people. These right. are our friends and neighbors, Gianna. They yes. are not aliens. Yeah. Right. And they've been stigmatized. And it Bothers me. And now that I'm not the judge anymore, I can say it.
0: I am so grateful. I'm because so Because <laughs> I don't have
8: to be the one who has to punish people sometimes when they do, let's say, use again, skip the probation. I can say that the way we handle it needs to be thought over. They and need with to be helped, money, not punished. the money, we should have facilities, state-of-the-art facilities in this county for people who
0: need to get well, because right. it's a disease. Yes, I know, and I know that there has been movement in the past few years on the county level, but I feel like they're just sort of toddling into it and don't really know how to like express it. And I want to just say, from my own perspective, the little bit I, I had a, a near-death car wreck, and I remember being in the hospital and not tell you know, trying to not take the Percocet that oh. I was prescribed because. I knew how dangerous this stuff was. Eventually, um, you know, I was on it for a while. And I remember when I was like running out and I would not take it. This is the way I would describe uh, I had never been uh, used something that had real withdrawal symptoms until uh, something like Percocet. And the way I would describe it is if I was taking my medicine, someone could be sawing off my arm And I would be like, uh, you know, whatever the day after the day after uh, during withdrawal, I could have been on a roller coaster with my best friend eating an ice cream and it was the worst day of my life. So that's like what I, uh, what I explained Mm -hmm. for me now. I I never got, went down a path, Mm -hmm. but just from the beginning, just, just to explain, uh, the, the, what it's like before, before you really get into uh, the sicknesses. Um, it, this is not uh, something to sneeze at for anyone who who knows nothing about how this stuff affects uh, people. And it, it and and my my description is a a, a kindergarten of of the realm of um, uh, things that can happen. Micah, for you, where were you when you really got deep into your addiction, uh, what was, what did that look like for you?
9: Um, Well, like I said, I still, it was a hard fight because like I said, I was still trying to maintain, I was going to work, I was doing things, but even I got to the point that at work, I would have to have a little something just to make it through the day. Mm. Or even in the morning, you wake up in the morning, it's like, oh God, it's another day. And before you even, have your coffee, you're already doing something just mm-hmm. to, to help you, like, get ready for whatever.
0: So we're... Explo- um, Go ahead. But... No, I, I just wanted to say I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to the panel, to the showing of uh, Crime of the Century, obviously a searing indictment on Big Pharma and the proliferation marketing um, of opioids and in the subsequent deaths and destru- destruction throughout uh, the country um, in every uh, part of the community. I know that um, former Judge Cooperstein and I were talking about the fact that no matter who you are out there, you have a connection to this, whether that be immediate or attenuated, as as you put it, um, everyone knows someone who has either struggled through this or lost their their struggle to it.
9: And, and on the reservation, well, here on Shinnecock, we're a really close-knit community, so everybody, it's like a family, so everybody, if something happens, we all feel it, so right. at, it, it hit pretty hard here, I mean, it's still actively going on, but it's just, it was it was hard to watch and actually be involved, and you're watching your peers and yourself, and you're kind of like going down this this, this dark hole that it's, it's hard to get out of, um, and I, I went to I went to Seafield, mm-hmm. and I went to a facility upstate New York for Native uh, folks, in uh And I went through that process. And I, I I got to watch what other people, and I felt like I wasn't as bad as them, but I was as bad as them. So it was kind of it was kind of it was, it was crazy.
8: And what I would like to say is that this film, which shook me up, um. Help me realize something. We should take the opportunity as a society and as a county and as the five East End towns to use to put forth some suggestions to the people who are on the committee that is um, in charge of distributing these tremendous amounts of settlement money mm. so that they this money is targeted in the right way. And my opinion is that we need inpatient drug rehab. I think every hospital should have an inpatient drug component Mm -hmm. with it, and I don't think that the county can say any longer that they don't have the money for it because the settlement numbers are mind-boggling. So let's take that terrible tragedy and do something good. How how good good does that feel, to give your opinion? Well, it, it, it feels really good, Gianna, to give my opinion. Because I'm not someone who needs to have another study Mm -hmm. done about drug addiction. I'm not someone who needs to have a committee formed. We need to do what is necessary. And people who are working in this kind of work know that twenty-eight days is not sufficient. So let's change it.
0: Beautifully said. No more
8: excuses.
0: Beautifully said. I am so oh, we're, we've got five minutes before we'll have Will Lawrence joining us, but I am just so grateful to both of you for joining us this morning to talk about something very difficult amid National Recovery Month. Um, definitely, if you are in Suffolk County, look into the services that, that the county does have, uh, but also stay tuned for some more work. I think that two of the things that I'd be interested to see are number one ways that we can help folks who are uh, n- uh, not coming back with a clean uh, screen when they first enter. Cause I know that that's something that is sort of a bar. Like if sometimes they won't take you if you're, if you're showing up with having stuff in your system, certain, certain organizations, not all. Um, but then also uh, as, as, former Judge Cooperstein mentioned something that is a little longer uh, standing that can really help someone put the pieces back together and, and move forward uh, to move past that point where they're still uh, sort of struggling against uh, this voice inside of their head and in their body that's mm-hmm. telling them to use. And as much as I believe in drug
8: court and I do believe in it, as the judge, I only got people mm-hmm. after they had broken the law mm. and usually drug all drug-related reasons. Right. So by the time you get somebody into a drug treatment court, they are so far down the stream, Amen. and they've now lost so much and now gotten into the throes of the criminal justice system. Right. It's very, very difficult. Although I will say for drug court, one of the great aspects is that um, drug rehab is paid for by Medicaid, so that does allow people to go to more long-term treatment. But now that I'm not doing that anymore, and I can say we need to help the people before yes. they have committed the crime. Amen. When they are so desperate that they'll do anything for the drug. As you said, steal from family members because there's nothing more important than the drug. And it's not because they're bad people. Right. That's what just, That's what really gets me. Is that people can go? Oh yeah, well, no, nobody in my family would ever do that. Not my kids. We are in this situation together, and we need to be together.
0: Amen. Better prevention. Uh, the only one I can really think of is, you know, like free methadone clinics. So it's like the really the only thing that someone can do is, is to get to get a little bit more of some to- sort of substance. Not saying that that uh, anything against uh, that, but. More prevention, more people helping Mm -hmm. folks to keep from getting too far off the path. I'm going to play There Must Be a Better Way from Mm -hmm. the band Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And deep bow to both you, Judge Deborah Cooperstein, former, and Micah Hunter, ahead of this Saturday's showing of the Crime of the Century and panel right at um, Southampton Arts Center in Connection. With, I believe it's Blossom, Blossom, um, hold on, Blossom Sustainable Development Amid National Recovery Month. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Deborah Cooperstein and Micah Hunter. This is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you just heard the um, Hot sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Mm-hmm. All right. So I am basically putting very much of today's playlist in my back pocket for another morning, including uh, Dr. Dog's How Long Must I Wait and uh, Madeline Pyro's I Must Be Save to uh, hop over and play William Lawrence's I Almost Caught the Sun from his brand new record uh, Through the Hollow Hills. But actually, you know what? I might even... Hop over that just so I can say hello to him because we're getting so close to the top of the hour and the end of the show. Good morning, Will.
10: Good morning, Deanna. How are you doing? All
0: right. I am so well. I'm so grateful to hear your voice. I haven't spoken to you since uh, Fool for You had just come out. And it sounds like you're going yeah. to be coming out to Long Island to open for uh, the Fleece Brothers um, in Rockville Center. Is that this weekend?
10: That's this weekend. That's this Saturday night at uh, R.J. Daniels as uh, part of the Tommy Broll Foundation's uh, Shine a Light series. So we're really excited to be coming down to Long Island
0: now, I'm, on Saturday. Uh, I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant about the Tommy Broll Foundation. Can you tell me a little bit more about them and what they do?
10: Uh, they're just a really great nonprofit that puts on these incredible concerts, and uh, they raise funds for uh, people with special needs and uh, just do a lot of really great programming. I think around Long Island, they have a really cool surf program I know that they do, where they oh, do cool. surf lessons. Um, yeah, check them out. Tommy I definitely Brol, will. And it's a, just a really great group of people that, sounds that like... uh, puts on all these really great music events.
0: That's right so, up my alley. Not I think Felice Brothers... Uh, sorry. No, I'm just saying, not only is it music, but also f- for a good cause. Um, so so yeah, talk exactly. a little bit about uh, the Felice Brothers and, and yourself coming out to Long Island.
10: Well, yeah, I think this is maybe the fourth time that the band has played as a part of the Tommy Brule series. Um, we just love it. I mean, it always just feels wonderful to be with people who are doing good things so you know and we love you know Long Islanders are great so we love coming down and and playing so right now we're up in New Hampshire so we're making our way south today
0: so what's it like I I, so you had gone on your own Uh, do you still do you still play with them how does it all work because you've really been working on your solo stuff quite diligently in the past few years
10: Oh, yeah, I'm still in Police Brothers. I play drums in the band, and so basically the lineup for this tour, we're just doing a little Northeast run right now that will all end in Long Island. Uh, So we've been on the road for about a week, and I am playing my songs as the opening set for the night just on my own, and then, you know, I hop the drum kit and we play Police Brothers songs. So it's, it's been a really nice, you know, sort of partnership thing for me to get to play two sets a night and I just you know love the Felice Brothers very much and it's been really great of them to let me share my songs before uh before the Felice Brothers set every night so that's that what will be the lineup on uh, Saturday night too at RJ Daniels
0: that seems like such a um like ideal situation um because first of all the show can be sort of self-contained. You you, you know what you're gonna get. Uh, you can you can bring a show wherever you go. Uh, you know the 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 uh, it's not incumbent upon the venue to to find other people. Uh, and then there's the fact that you have the band there uh, if you need them as you're performing your songs.
10: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've been incredibly in a lot of different scenarios where you know, just uh, I don't know it's always just great to have friends around so it's certainly be traveling around in a car by yourself um, to get to you know, and also just the opportunity to get to play for uh, people who've been listening to Police Brothers for a long time or, you know now I, I get the opportunity to share some of my songs with them and the, all the people coming out to the shows have been really great and supportive too. So it, it is a real win-win.
0: Yeah. And they, and, and, and great companion. If you listen to your, your work, you can definitely hear like the Felice brothers vibe uh, to the song. So I'm, I have dreaming my life away, which was the track uh, that I chose for this morning. And then I've got, I almost caught the sun uh, just because that fit in, uh, it, it was the smooth transition from the must songs. I had, you know, I Must Be Saved by Madeline Pyro and and Sinead O'Connor's, I guess the Lord, mm-hmm. Must Be in New York City. So let's talk about I Almost Caught the Sun first. I haven't listened to the track yet, so uh w- intro us into the song before we play it. Let's see.
10: Um, if you get, I don't know if it's raining down there in Long Island, but it's a good song for a day like today that at least where I am it's raining a lot uh I guess it's kind of the story a little bit borrowing from some mythology you know the story of uh, Ach- uh wait Achilles mm. flew too close to the sun um, no I'm no, no up it's my not mythology. no
0: it's okay because um, I'm I'm actually um having a brain fart as well about about him Icarus. Oh, Icarus. I should it's have, Icarus. Uh, Icarus. Yes. Sorry. It's Icarus. Yeah. So I guess I was
10: thinking about that kind of story and uh, maybe the character in the song that's, you know, it, it, kind of that idea of some trying to attain this unattainable thing. And almost, um, almost so makes and, it Yeah. And almost getting it, but also appreciating that you're never really going to fully get to whatever that um, complete ideal is. So to just kind of be happy with what you got.
0: Oh, beautiful. All right, so William Lawrence's brand-new record, Through the Hollow Hills, I Almost Caught the Sun, and then we'll be back. We'll talk with him a, a couple more minutes and lead you into the NPR news break with another track from his new record, Dreaming My Life Away. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is William Lawrence, and you, whoever you are out there, you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
11: As, high as I could. Go!
0: Brand new music by William Lawrence I almost caught the sun from his Through the Hollow Hills album We've only got just about enough time To play Dreaming My Life Away From the record uh, And just let folks uh, know that the Fleece Brothers uh, And uh, and William Lawrence William will be opening For uh, the Fleece Brothers In which he plays drums this Saturday You can find tickets on Eventbrite Before I let you go uh, Will, what would you say about this track?
10: Um, this, I think, was the first song we cut for the record, and, yeah, I don't know what to say. My friend Brian plays drums on it, My friend Donnie, who I cut the whole record with, plays bass on it, and I just really like how it came out. I was thinking a lot about the Beatles' uh, Get Back movie when we recorded it, um, and just that whole Let It Be session, so yeah, I think yeah. it kind of has maybe that sort of world of music influence. Of, totally. You know, uh, totally. Laid back laid back I, 70s uh sort of rock and roll I stuff. heard
0: I heard the Beatles I heard Fleetwood Mac playing this record I loved the vibe of the album and the tracks leading everyone into the NPR news break at the top of the hour with dreaming my life away from Will Lawrence's brand new record through the hollow hills here on WLIWFM mm-hmm.